One of the biggest objections to really leaning into digital missions is time. Today, we're going to look at what it takes to reach millions of people with your message without losing your sanity. My name is Justin Koo, and this is the Digital Missions Podcast. Yo, Justin here, and you are listening to the Digital Missions Podcast, where our goal is to equip pastors like you with the skills needed to reach your first million people with the gospel. Here's the thing. In order to scale your impact into the millions of people reached, you're going to have to get really sharp on your purpose, your calling, and your mission. And the natural byproduct of clarity on all of these things is the confidence to say no to everything else. My guest for today is Dr. Heather Thompson-Day. Heather is the author of eight books, the host for Christianity Today's podcast, Viral Jesus, the leader of an online community comprised of hundreds of thousands of women, a professor at Andrews University, and if that's not enough, a mother to several children. So to say the least, she's someone who has had to learn the difficult art of saying no. My, my experience has been that when you get really hyper-specific, that there's a temptation to feel guilty about saying no to opportunities. Mm. I, I get that now you probably have an abundance of opportunities. You by, by nature, by design, in order to remain sane, you have to say no. Yes. But I remember when I first got clarity on my niche, on my calling, when I would say no to good friends of mine who wanted me to do something that was very good, very mission-driven, but just outside of my personal mission. And I guess I'm curious, how did you interact in those early days where choosing a lane actually had an opportunity cost? And it wasn't easy to describe why you were saying no. See, in the early days, I think I said yes to everything. Oh, okay. (laughs) I said yes to everything. And I was speaking all the time. And I was totally exhausted and also feeling a lot of purpose. Mm. Um, It was really only since COVID for me that I started to say, the, the ministry of absence became a lot more important to me because I mm. realized that my kids only have this one mom. And so I typically on average, I'm not always good at keeping this, but I try to only take one speaking engagement that would cause me to travel a month. And mm-hmm. so that alone, the fact that I'm only doing one a month forces me to be a lot more picky. And I have other people that are part of these decisions as far as, okay, which one are we taking? Cause you're only doing one. Right. And so mm-hmm. saying yes to this is saying no to these. So you don't have a choice at that point. The, the more narrow it became when I stopped saying yes to everything, it allowed me to be really intentional about the places that I was serving and then allowed me to really think about who are you called to serve? Hmm. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So if there's a, a step one to finding your calling, your niche, your lane, as it were, it's say yes to everything. Because you learned something in the process. What would step two be to eventually getting to a place where you're like, no, no, this is exactly who I am, what I'm called to do in this season. What's step number two? Okay, here is step two. And it was, again, Jose Rojas. Um, He said to me, assume the role. Hmm. And he said, where do you see yourself? Is this like dress for the job that you want kind of an idea? Yes. He said, where do you see yourself (laughs) 10 years from now? You Hmm. become that today. Stop Hmm. making choices as if... If you make this choice, that's who you'll become. Make choices as if that's who you are. You do that today. And that's when I started saying, oh, then I'm going to start saying no to things. Because Hmm. 10 years from now, I can't be running around and doing all these different things. So I made those choices now. And it has really just, it's been such a blessing to me. I'm saying like in my relational life, in my family life, as a daughter to parents whose health isn't well, it has been a blessing for me. And I serve so much better out of this space of intentionality and saying no to certain other opportunities. And then, Justin, you know this, like every time we say no, you get to recommend someone else. 
Yeah. And that's, I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram 3, and one of the things about Enneagram 3s is we're connectors. Mm-hmm. I absolutely get like a thrill out of recommending somebody else for something that I think they're going to love and is going to be new to them and also great for the church or the organization that's calling. Yeah, this is one of the hacks for the recovering people pleaser. If you have to say no to something, say, hey, I'm so honored that you would think yes, of me. Yes. Like, it's amazing. Unfortunately, I won't be able to, but I have three great yes! friends who would excel <laughs> at this that I think that you would you would be you would be so blessed to have. And so it turns a no into an actual resource. And, yes. and I think that it actually makes you look air quotes better in that you're willing to like share the spotlight, which yes. is generally what, what, what people who are on stage are afraid of doing. I don't know. So when you become that advocate, it's actually a win on many fronts. And it's a, a helpful mechanism to say no, so you can remain focused on your calling. So I'm curious, as you had that step to where you're just saying, uh, I'm going to assume the role that I believe that God's calling me to, was this something that you picked out of thin air? Was there a model? Was there someone in your life you're like, I need to do something like that, but my own version of. How did you mm. How did you land on this is the role that I'm going to be assuming because 10 years from now, this is exactly where I'm going to be? Yeah, so, and I recommend this to um, the listeners. I have a team and I did fairly, not right away, but for the last couple of years, I've had a team mm-hmm. of people that sit down and vision with me. And literally, Mm. we just, it's like a vision session where we say, okay, if God was going to like just bless wildly more than we can imagine, what are the types of things that we would be wanting to do? A a marketer said to me once, um, you have to plan about 18 months out. So it takes somebody 18 months of being familiar with you and seeing you online and even following you, right? Interacting with your content before they say, okay, now I'm going to purchase Heather's book plan about 18 months of that relationship. So we always do vision sessions about 18 months ahead. And we say, okay, what are we hoping to have achieved in 18 months? And then what are the steps that I would have to start doing today to get there in 18 months? And so that's not a solo Heather process. That's, I have people that I sit down with and that dream with me. And I also like my best friend, Scarlett, who's a content creator, she's not a Christian content creator, but a content creator, I say to her, I want to sit down with you and let's focus on you. What are you wanting to do? What are the dreams? Let's sit down and think about how we're going to get there 18 months from now. Okay. So initially it sounds as though, and this might actually be the case for you, that your team are a group of people that you may in some capacity employ to help you, but then you just made a, a detour with your friend. And, yeah. and this actually gets me, I think maybe to the heart of it, because there's, there's pastors who have eight church districts, you know, there are people who are here just barely making it themselves. And, and the idea of building a team seems so impossible, so far away, but it sounds as though that your team doesn't necessarily have to be an employed team. Your team could be the people that are in your corner. No, I have one employee too, okay. I guess, if you count my agent, but um, I have one person that works for me, hmm. but I have the best friends and family that have mm. believed in me since the beginning. And so we sit down and we, we map it out and we see what, what we think God is. And I want to hear their wisdom too. Mm-hmm. I think God is saying this. I think God is calling you to do this. I want to hear that stuff. And don't assume that people don't want to do that with you. Can you find two people? If one's your spouse, right? Or a close friend or your mom, I'll do that with my mom. Can you find two other people to say, I really just want to pray and spend two hours and see where God might be taking this ministry? I think most people, if you're in Christian context and environment, are honored to be on your team. Mm-hmm. 
And this is actually one of the kind of best kept secrets about the journey of a content creator or an entrepreneur is that they never do it by themselves. No. The, the ones who find some level of success generally operate in like a pod. They generally operate with a handful of like-minded people who are doing something in the general vicinity that they've chosen and are maybe doing it on their own. But you start to work together. The collaboration effect is, is one of the best kept secrets of being a content creator. Yeah, I, this this is something that you and and Scarlett have done, right? Can can you talk to us about the? Mm. I actually don't even know the story. You and Scarlett started a blog. Uh, if I remember the name of it, it's I'm that not wife. that. I'm that wife. I'm, okay. I'm that wife. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the blog. I'm that wife. To date, you guys are serving literally hundreds of thousands of women all over the world. Can you talk to us about how did did it just start over coffee one day and just exactly like you outlined? Hey, what is something that we can dream up yes. together? <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I was a stay at home. I mean, well, I was teaching. I was adjuncting. She was like a fully stay at home mom, and we mm. loved. We both have always loved writing, and it was before everybody was blogging at that point but we were like let's try this blog where we just talk about what it's like to be a working mom and what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom and we did that and we blogged for we did twice a week each of us doing two days a week for three years and at the end of three years we had nine thousand people and i had this moment but and the only reason we kept going and we say this to each other all the time is because we had each other Hmm. Right. Hmm. If I was alone, I would have quit way before oh, three yeah. years. But since it was the two of us together, it was fun. We had a shared interest and we're friends. So we were loving it. But then I did come to a point where I said, I don't know that this is what God is calling me to. It's the only thing I do, honestly, that's not um, objectively Christian in nature. Um, hmm. And so it was even when I started doing it, I said, I don't even know if God wants me to do something that's not overtly Christian. And honestly, sure. I'm so glad I did because I've been able to make so many connections through that blog and serve in a different way, I think. But at the end of three years, I told her, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And she said, hmm. yeah, me either, which was a conversation we had all the time. <laughs> that's very honest. She said, let's give this two more weeks. Wow. And this is a true story. Within the two weeks, we had our very first viral meme of all. We had written countless <laughs> blogs at this point for three years. That's, that's a humbling Nothing experience. went viral. <laughs> we make a meme that goes viral. And we went from 9,000 to, I think, 20,000 in like 24 hours. And wow. then it's just been a snowball ever since there. We're at like two, over 270,000 people now. It's just crazy. And we almost <laughs> quit. This is kind of funny because uh, two weeks prior, you're like, I don't know if God's calling me yeah. to do this. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have this viral moment. I'm, I'm going to guess that the narrative changed. Oh, yeah, God's definitely got a calling on this. And it's just so interesting how and I, and I get it. So this is not faulting you or Scarlett or anything like that. But I, I totally get it as a content creator. You feel defeated. You feel yes. like you're wasting your time. You feel like you're yelling into the abyss. And from those uh, experiences we reverse engineer our sense of calling rather than starting with a clear sense of calling and pushing forward by faith even if it seems like nothing's happening i just think it's so interesting how that's such a common experience and how a simple like shot in the arm a simple viral meme can change your emotional willingness to be resilient yeah. overnight seemingly yeah and that experience has been what has helped me in so many others Right, right, because you're going to start a new project and you're going to get nowhere for a long time. You got it. You got mm. it. And you learn that you learn exactly what you just talked about, that it's not just about the numbers because had God. OK, let's look at it this way. When did God care about that project? Hmm. Was it with the viral meme? 
or huh. was it on day one when we started it? When did God decide, Heather, I actually do really want you to be a part of this? And so now when I step into things, I have that. And I always say to myself, I think I did a newsletter about this to my people because I, I, something I say a lot is, when did God call you to ministry? Hmm. Was it when you got a book deal or was it when you were like, in sixth grade, putting on skits for your class about the gospel. Mm. Like, at what point do you decide when God actually blessed the move? Yeah, this is one of those things of like, when do we even validate the call? Because I think we get echoes of the call early on. I still remember, this is kind of embarrassing, but I was in, I want to say it was like the fourth grade. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, kind of like a a Samuel type of experience. Uh, At the time of of year, it was really cold in the house. And so I spent the night in my little sister's room uh, in order so that the heat bill wasn't so high and so through the roof. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and for whatever reason, there was a whole bunch of Beanie Babies. Remember Beanie Babies? Everyone thought they were going to be rich collecting Beanie Babies. There was a bunch of Beanie Babies on the dresser and in the middle all night, I get up and I feel moved to preach the gospel to these little beanie babies. And, and I don't know, for me, that's like one of the or- origin stories. This is how yeah. early on I had these whispers that the Holy Spirit had a plan for my life. And yet it's not till many years later that I would validate that calling, that I would say, oh, you know what? That's that's real. That's serious. And often, But when did the plan start? Exactly. It started at the very, very beginning. Even though there was no real crowd, there was no success from the beginning, God had a plan. It's amazing how much can change when you get that breakthrough moment, how one simple viral video can absolutely make all the hard work worth it in a moment. And the good news is that if you're scratching your head wondering how you can get that next viral hit, well, we've got the Digital Missionary Academy to teach you how. The Digital Missionary Academy is our flagship program for anyone wanting to get really nerdy about social media ministry. If you get excited by the idea of understanding the science behind viral content, getting hundreds of people asking for viral studies per month, and if you're amped about growing your church through social media and ready to invest in growing your skills as a digital missionary, well, let's hop on the phone for a bit. You can send me an email at hello at digitalmissionspodcast.com to schedule a free 15-minute call to see if the Digital Missionary Academy is right for you. Okay, so you uh, you did this thing where you get the viral meme, uh, things are blowing up, and now yeah. you've doubled your traffic. I- I'm going to guess that over the years, because you've been faithfully doing this, you have seen more than just numbers to validate the calling. I'm guessing that there have been there have been letters, there have been DMs, there's maybe even been a couple one-on-one FaceTime calls. What has been the impact on the other side of this faithful execution of the calling that God has given you in Scarlet? What, what's some of the stories that demonstrate the way that God is serving these women through the faithful writing that you guys are putting out there? As far as my online ministry, I feel like the greatest gift God, and it's probably the greatest gift God gives all of us, right, is why is anyone chosen hmm. to show that people are chosen? Right. And so I really feel like the greatest response I ever get is when people say, I always thought it was only like specific people that God Hmm. had a plan for. And through interacting with you, I realized that God has a plan for me. Right. Like that is a message that I, I get a lot and it means the world to me because I consider myself one of the lost sheep. I I was Mm. never like the perfect Christian. I was expelled from my elementary school. I I resonate very deeply. And that's why I love to serve young adults. I resonate very deeply um, with just never feeling like you're going to be good enough. 
And so whenever somebody tells me that as they are, they feel like just seeing how I talk about God and I'm still a normal quote unquote person that it made them realize that God is interested in normal people. That means the world to me. What is it about that paradigm shift that's so, so meaningful? When I receive those types of messages or comments, oh, you know, your latest video really impacted me. It's so difficult to actually understand what that person means because those are just, it's a one sentence thing. And it's easy to kind of be like, oh, thanks, and forget about it the next day. But what, what do you think is actually happening under the hood when someone takes the time out of their day to share that with you? Yeah, because I know what's going on under the hood when I take the time to do it for somebody else. Hmm. Right. If mm -hmm. I take the time to send the email, to write the letter, to send a message, to pull somebody aside, it's because I was deeply moved. I had a transformative experience. I know that for myself. So when somebody does that with me, I know where they're coming from because I've done it. Hmm. Right. And it's just, I just love like that we get to be a part of truly like this body, the priesthood of all believers, where we all just like keep each other going. That's the beauty of community. And maybe Amen. it is, I know I've seen a, like a tweet that kept me going for that day. And sometimes that's all you need is the hmm. daily bread to go one more day. I know what that feels like to say, I can't do this another second. Like, I don't, I can't do this anymore. I don't feel heard. I don't feel seen by God. I don't feel loved by my people. Like I can't do this anymore and see one thing that says God sees you hang on and believe mm. it. I think that this is maybe one of the most ironic things about like air quotes, Christian content creators or like churches that are still making the decision to show up online. Right. We, we heavily emphasize, and I understand why we heavily emphasize the physical gathering of believers on the weekend. And it's a great thing. And yet this institution that claims to live by faith, to trust that God has a calling on when we show up and he's never going to allow the word to return void. When we get to the online space, especially at the beginning sense, like it's very hard for many in the faith space I have found to justify the investment and the consistency required to actually make a difference online. And, and it seems like that part of it is that we forget that in the digital space, that every single view is a person, that every single comment, yes. there's a story behind it. And I just think it's so interesting how it's easy to forget that even though the primary uh, paradigm of ministry is trusting that God has a purpose in the calling. Right. And I think your listeners probably already know this, but we are just living in an age where we actually are very, very, very influenced by the people that we're following online. Hmm. We are like 80% more likely to buy something because somebody we follow online told us to buy it, right? Hmm. We follow, I think you're 10 times more likely to take the advice of a social media influencer over a celebrity today. So quite the opportunity, not that we necessarily get to have, but that the Holy Spirit right? I don't have God. God has me. The Holy Spirit gets to have and just being able to move and work through people in the same way that he would move and work through people in a church in mm -hmm. physical connection. He's able to move and work through people scrolling online who have access to your content because it's, it's always been about the Holy Spirit. It's never been about you, which is why it doesn't make sense to bash the medium because the medium is always the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> oh, shoot. We think that Instagram is the medium and we forget right. that the true medium is the Holy Spirit. Always. It's wow. always about God. And it's always about the God who has you, right? And then, and here's the thing that it always keeps me humble with that. If I don't have God and God has me, I also hmm. can't control who else God has. Hmm. Tell me more about that. Which for me just allows me to be very, very humble as I'm interacting with other mm. people um, because I can't control who else God decides to possess. Mm. Right? Because it's always been about God. It has been very little about me. And wow. so that keeps me often in my place. When I have a moment where I say, I don't know if they're doing it for the right reasons, it doesn't really matter right. <laughs> what you think. Yep, right? Yep, yep. Let the Holy Spirit do what it's what the Holy Spirit does and is mm. has been doing for the last 7,000 years. <laughs> Love it. So you've been so neck deep in the world of communication. You yeah. study, I'm sure, marketing and the shifting in how we communicate ideas and how people become convinced of whatever thing. I'm curious, what is, what is a, a key lesson that you feel that the church really needs to learn from the the secular communication world. What is something that we're missing in the church? Yeah, here's one. You don't win arguments, you win affection. Oh, yeah, because you, you go to the standard comment section of any Christian type of content, and we seem to think that argumentation is the best way, right? That is, and not, I'm not bashing anybody because that was me for most of my life up until mm -hmm. probably the last five years. Um, and when I... I started teaching a class called Persuasion about five years ago. And so the more I poured through these different persuasion textbooks and learned that actually statistically you, you don't win arguments, you win people's affection, that the hmm. most social judgment theory says that the most persuasive thing is always your relationship. That for me changed the way I saw and was behaving in my faith because i was the type of person that was staying up and argue i'm gonna prove to you to my atheist friends that here's all okay i got research right we can mm -hmm. do that or i got my testimony we can do that like i'm trying to convince you and then when i've i've like even scarlett who wouldn't mind me saying this my whole life with scarlett who's my best friend that we did the blog with um mm -hmm. she's jewish but kind of like ag agnostic jew um was never interested in God, atheist, for quite some time. We would, I remember getting in a big fight with her at a Chili's where we were both crying and yelling at each other about God because she said wow. she didn't believe in God and that just broke my heart. And today, Scarlett, is, she would identify absolutely as a believer in Jesus Christ. And yeah. it's not that I ever argue. It's just that I, I have stopped trying to convince her. And I just started living my own life, right, with conviction and integrity. And she saw the attractiveness that the Holy Spirit offers. And the Holy Spirit, since he went and got her, which is <laughs> what he does, right? And it just really convicted me of, man, I never gave Scarlett a Bible study. Hmm. Hmm. It's almost as though one could say that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. You, Romans 2. It's almost like it. It's almost as if that's true. You know, that's my favorite verse. <laughs> is it? Oh, really? Yeah, that's my absolute favorite verse. Okay. Uh, is it because of your experience with Scarlet or is there more behind that? <laughs> it's, yeah, I think, I just think in my upbringing for, and that wasn't necessarily my parents, but for a long time, I just felt like it was the wrath of God that would bring me to Ooh. repentance or it was the anger of God or the fear of God. And to learn that it's the goodness of God yeah. that transforms us is just, man, I, it just makes me want to try to be 
in his image. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And be an image bearer for others. I love that. That's so beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about your writing. One of the things that I'm absolutely flabbergasted about when I see the content that you're putting out, the just the general things that have been happening happening in your life over the last couple of years, I, I genuinely don't understand how you're able to be so prolific. At least from, <laughs> from where I'm sitting, it just seems like she's she's dropping bombs every day like i don't get it how does she write eight mm. books how is she blogging all the time how is she tweeting such uh, such beautiful stuff all the time and i guess one of the things i want to learn about is what are some of your your, your daily practices yeah. or what are some of those habits that you've cultivated that allow you to still be present as a mother to still be doing a good job in your career and still be able to fulfill this personal sense of calling and showing up in the spaces that the holy spirit has invited you to show up in i want to answer this by first prefacing this is what heather does and absolutely anybody can do something totally different it my way is not necessarily like the godly way right it's just that this is how god communicates with me and what i have found to be helpful for my personality Mm -hmm. um but scripture for me is absolutely the foundation of my life and is i read a quote by j.i packer i don't even know how many years ago anymore at this point probably 10 years ago that said any christian worth his i've added her his or her salt will read their bible cover to cover every single year Hmm. and i took him up on that and i started reading my bible cover to cover every single year i'm on my 13th time through and scripture i really feel like has is a part of what has transformed and changed my life. Hmm. Um, Spending time with God every single day. Now, the last about year and a half, I'm really big on prayer walks. Hmm. So after I have worship, I'll go and I'll like lap the block once or twice and just pray out loud, whatever it is I'm hoping to see God move on or just telling him I haven't seen you. And I don't know where you are, but I'm trusting that you're there. So give me the strength to keep holding on. Um, Whatever that looks like, I just take that time to go walk and talk with God. And for me, it has been foundational. I also am a big reader. Not like I know people that we read 100 books a year. So that's relative. But I absolutely try to read at least a book a month um, and keep taking in ideas of other people who I find inspiring. You highlight two practices that I think the majority of listeners are probably doing. You know, they're spending time in prayer, they're spending time in reading their Bible and other literature. And yet, I, I guess I'm, I'm hoping to help understand how that bridges to your ability to create content prolifically. Because I think for a lot of pastor types, for example, they're like, I got to read the Bible, I got to pray. And I don't mean God, you're like in some pejorative sense. Uh, this, these are priorities of their life. These are rhythms of their life. And yet, it doesn't seem like creating content seems like the natural overflow of that. Maybe they're, they're so inundated with all the other responsibilities. How does, how does those daily practices translate to being able to show up online? Well, I won't speak for everyone. I would say my husband would probably tell you that when he was pastoring, it was when he was l- reading his Bible the least. As hmm. far as reading it for himself, he was, okay. he was reading it with the intention of creating content. Right. Sermon right? prep. Which is very different than taking that time to sit before the Lord. I think silence is a big part of that. So for Mm. me, I do see it as a natural overflow because how in the, I'm never trying to put out Heather, right? It's always about trying to take in what I feel like the Holy Spirit may be offering me. And so how can I do that if I've not placed myself before him? So that's like one of the only things in my life I'm fairly militant about 
is spending my morning and I hope my evening, but I'm not as good about that one, but always spending every single morning at the feet of Jesus hmm. and trying to see what are you trying to show me about my life right now or about how I'm interacting with people, not to create something, but just because I'm in this relationship with you. And I have found that in that process, like my thoughts have just connected so much richer and deeper and hmm. easier since I've been spending my time with the Lord militantly. I, I love that. And I think that this is why for me, spending the beginning of these conversations talking about just what God is doing in your life, the priorities, the calling in your life is, is so transformative because it can be applied in a million different ways. And, and I'm hearing this thread pretty consistently through your story in that the reason why you are doing all the external things, all the front facing things, all the overflow things of your writing and your blogging and your professional career, all that actually stems from a deep sense of confidence in your calling as a daughter of God. And you stand on that identity. And from there, you allow the overflow to exist in whatever iteration of that season. And so I think that that's so, so important. And, and I'm glad that we get to start there. And one of the things I also want to explore in, in light of that is what are some of the ways that we can actually continue to, to be honest and faithful to that calling and still see some more meaningful sense of what's the word I'm looking for, like maybe traffic out there in the world. Cause there's one of the things that you do. I think that that is very admirable is that you function out there in the world, like big picture. Um, in, in our faith tradition, it seems like there's just echo chambers all the time. And it seems very difficult to break out of echo chambers. And, and I don't think that this is because people are not focusing on mission. It's not because that they are neglecting these deep, important spiritual disciplines or anything like that. And yet there's something that when I observe you, you are working with BBC Radio Live, you're working with the Today Show, you're on Forbes, and, and you're doing all kinds of different things. You got a podcast with Christianity Today. I'm curious, what have you found as being some of the important tips or tricks to being able to break out of the echo chamber, to be able to reach a, a broader audience while still remaining faithful to the call that God has given you? Mm, that's a good question. I think a lot of that stuff for me stemmed from writing, hmm. right? So I, it probably looks different depending on what people's giftings are. But for me, and honestly, everything else I do really comes back to the fact that I've always felt called to be a writer. That's like honestly, my primary ministry more than anything else. Um, and so writing allows you to have all these different um, avenues and ways of publishing your work. And so in some things, I think I, I just got really lucky that I was at the right place at the right time and got an opportunity. Yeah. So I don't know how much I ascribe things to myself. Mm -hmm. Because I think that would be dishonest. I think I was at the right place at the right time. Like I'm thinking about, so my friend that I used to argue about God with till two in the morning, um, Jason Lemon, he is an editor at Newsweek. And so my mm. first time writing for Newsweek, he, I had written a post or an article for the Barna Group, which is the largest Christian um, research institution. And he, for some reason, had read that piece and was like, hey, would you do something about this for us at Newsweek? And so mm. it was just like, I knew the right person and they had read the piece that came up on his feed. And so he asked me to, do, so that's how that door opened. And, and then like, even when I did BBC, that was because I have a tweet 
I wrote a tweet that went viral about being a bully. I was a bully in like seventh grade. I talked about it in a tweet and I had a DM the next morning from BBC News. Like, I can't control that that was upon that guy's feed, you know? So I think just keep creating in the vein that you're supposed to be creating in and let God bring the opportunities that are supposed to come. And Hmm. we can't control it. No, that's that's good. Because then the focal point is away from I need to seek virality. And yes. the focal point is just being faithful to the marching orders. It, it sounds like uh, this is an example of it, those who are faithful in the little things. God grants the ability to be faithful in You in already know how things. I feel about that. <laughs> yes, I, that is incredibly important. When I had Justin on my show, Viral Jesus, that's what you were taught. You said, when people want to create content, I tell them, if you're not willing to create 100 videos for less than 100 views, don't even start. Hmm. Right? Like, how do we start just being faithful because we feel called to it? Mm-hmm. Even though we might say, I'm exhausted, I can't do this anymore. We keep going because you feel called to it and let those. And you know what I've also had to get really good at, Justin, is letting those DMs matter to me. Hmm. Not just brushing it that, off. Oh, that's interesting because the, the, the advice is almost the opposite. Like, oh, don't read into the, the comment section too much. Don't read into the DMs too much because, you know, whatever. We don't want it to go to our heads. But it sounds like, actually, no, no, let it go to your head, not in an egotistical way, but looking at it through a particular lens, these DMs reveal something true. Yes. And when there's one, I mean, to know that, oh, God may have had me write this entire blog for this Hmm. one person. Wow. That is a heavy call. It's not a light one, you know, so really taking the time. And I think for me personally, I used to not pay attention to positive feedback, but really now I realize because I've been in therapy, it's because I had, I had protected myself from negative feedback. So Hmm. I wasn't able, I wasn't being hurt by bad comments, but then I also wasn't able to receive good ones. And now that I've opened myself up to allowing people to hurt my feelings, I've also been able to notice a change in my own spirit in reading the positive things people say and allowing it to really matter to me. So I would say too, don't be so protective of yourself because you can't selectively numb. Mm -hmm. Listen to some Brene Brown friends. You can't selectively numb your emotions. So when you get some of the bad feedback, let yourself feel bad about it. Let yourself have a moment where it's like, yeah, that really hurt my feelings because I worked really hard on that. Man, I wish this person didn't see me in that light. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to put your heart out there and have somebody tell you this stinks. That's life and emotions aren't bad. And if you protect yourself from those negative ones, you will subconsciously block yourself from feeling all the wonderful things that people are trying to say to you. And you can't afford to miss that. Wow. I have to do some thinking about how I internalize my comment section Same. and my DMs because I, I've been moving in the opposite direction. I have, I'll, I'll be open. I am moving more in the direction of like numbing because sometimes there's an onslaught of negative interaction, especially when you post on something that is countercultural, especially when you post on something that kind of attacks sacred cows that have been held by communities yeah, yeah, yeah. for forever. It, it's not fun. And uh, I'll be honest, those are the moments where I question the calling that God has placed on my life. And can I say this? Please do. Here's what I would say to you. This is advice Beth Moore gave me once. She said, you can always have thick skin over a thick belief. Hmm. Right? So if you know that what you're saying, you feel called, right, by the spirit to say, Mm -hmm. then you can take the negative feedback on that and it's okay to let it hurt your feelings. Hmm. 
if the Jose Rojas says, if all the devil has to do to make you quit is to get somebody to hurt your feelings, none of Ooh. us will ever make it. Oh, right? no. Our feelings are always going to be hurt. There's not, if you're going to lead, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. Do you think Moses yeah. like felt great? If you're going to lead, <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. no, if you're going to lead, you are absolutely placing yourself in the path to have your feelings for. And I would say, don't hmm. rob yourself of that experience too, because hmm. that is part of being human. Suffering hmm. isn't bad. Suffering is human, but that's also how we feel. Joy is allowing yeah. ourselves to feel suffering. That's amazing because because this is the example of Jesus. Jesus was one who found joy yes. when people responded, and Jesus was also sorrowful when people didn't necessarily respond and receive the good things that he was wanting to do over their lives. It yeah. is a human experience to feel some sort of way in the response of people that you care deeply about. It doesn't make you weak, and it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It just makes wow. you human. With the shift in how we communicate and the shift in how we build community and connect with one another, what are you observing in the up and coming generation that is instructive for those of us who are tending to the historical structures of how the church currently operates? And I guess what I'm trying to understand is there's a way of thinking that the current generation has that's different than what many of us have. And I'm curious, what are the potential implications for this shift in thinking for the church? Okay, so Fuller Institute, Kara Powell, I just interviewed her a little bit ago, and she wrote, she does all those amazing growing young. Mm -hmm. um, and she was just saying that one of the top three characteristics of this generation that really stuck out to me was adaptive. Oh. They're incredibly adaptive. So I can see that. they get hit with curveballs and they've had to, right? By probably partly because of COVID, they've had to learn how do I adapt? And I think in average, like business has long been this way. Church has not so much been this way. This generation is learning how to be adaptive. And so I think as changes come, I think they're just okay with change. Right. They know it's inevitable. Whereas for those of us who are a little bit older, we really like the traditions that we're used to. We don't want to change. And I don't think either of those are necessarily bad, but it's different ways of viewing, especially when it comes to faith, very different ways of viewing what that may look like. So if you were to uh, take a, a guess as to the future of the church, the church in 20 mm. years, what is your vision? What is your hope for the church of 20 years as it pertains to the, to the realm of communication and mission and just the evolution of church, I guess? That's a good question because it could go two very different ways. But I, I think as far as it relates to online church, that will be the main form of church hmm. in 20 years. And... I, I know quite a few pastors who believe that um, and who love their traditional congregations, but are saying, I'm also really grateful that I can serve people online because they've <laughs> seen the fruit, right? It doesn't have to be bad. <laughs> Why can't we do both and be grateful that we have the opportunity to do both? Why do I have to be offended that somebody didn't show up this weekend if they showed up online? Because is the point about me or is the point about having time and connecting with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So I think it's, I think the church is going to continue to change because I know at least when I look at my student population and I teach at a Christian school, when I talk to them, 
they feel online church is very much church for them. Last question, really curious, just kind of an open open statement. Would love to hear any kind of encouragement or advice, even if it's a reiteration of what you've already been kind of covering via stories, to the pastor, the evangelist, the aspiring digital missionary who's listening to this show. Um, any any wisdom, any advice, any encouragement you would give someone who's kind of at the beginning of that journey or just contemplating the beginning of the journey even, what advice would you give to that person who's kind of just getting started? Yeah, I have a team. The, the best advice I could ever give somebody is to put yourself around like-minded people. We always think of mentorship, I think only like intergenerationally, but pure mentorship can be very, very valuable as well. Put yourself around like-minded people, learn what other people are doing, hear somebody else's high. My, my friend said to me the other day, I realize how much I really need my relationships with you and other people because hmm. the highs are high, but Heather, the lows are so low hmm. in this business. And I like, I, I can't do it anymore if I'm not really intentional about spending time with other people who get this whole thing. I love that. I think there's something there. Uh, you, you touch on it at the very end, uh, celebrating the success of your peers yes. is huge. I, I think that if we're not careful, it's easy to get jealous and yes. maybe even, maybe even a little bit bitter. Like I've been putting in the work too, God, why are they all of a sudden blossoming? And why is mine, you know, seemingly, you know, stagnant as it were. But I, I have found that celebrating the wins of others from a genuine place, not for the strategy of getting the end result, but just when you do that, the, the, the relationships deepen, the bonds deepen, and you actually have the opportunity to, to learn from them and vice versa. And I just find that choosing to keep in mind the goal, which the goal should never be yes. go viral. The goal is never to have a million followers. The goal is never to become rich and famous off of this content. But the goal is to make Jesus famous, to make, yes. uh, to use your podcast language, to make Jesus go yes. viral. And if that's the goal, we celebrate when someone else is having success in doing exactly that. It's yes. a shift of mentality. It's a shift of attitude and, and a shift of the heart. And I would say, don't be afraid to go before the Lord and say, man, I'm really struggling with this. I am hmm. feeling really jealous right now, God, help me. He's, he, God has never asked us to be perfect. He's asked us to be in relationship with him. And so for me, when I have those feelings, naming it, vocalizing it, putting it before the Lord, that is how I'm able to process through and get over it, right? And mean it when I say, I'm so happy for you. I wanna mean yes. it. Yes. And I gotta process through that. So don't be afraid to put that out before the Lord. I love it. I love it. Heather's journey of building a team started with one friend. One friend who helped share the burden of navigating the online space. Just one friend who encouraged her when she was down and challenged her when she wanted to throw in the towel. And we thank God for that one friend. Because in no small part, that one friend was a crucial part of the millions that would later be reached. So here's the homework for today's episode. It's really simple. You ready for it? Be that one friend for someone else. Heck, if it gets the ball rolling, send this episode to that person and ask them, would you like to partner on that thing that God has been calling you to do? Who knows? Your partnership, you being that one friend, might literally change the population of heaven. Before I go, I don't know if you knew this, but we're posting daily content on Instagram and we think that you would like it. Check us out and give us a follow at Digital Missions Podcast. Again, on Instagram, that's at Digital Missions Podcast.